so good to be together. For those of you that I have not had a chance to meet, I'm Holly Worsley. I'm one of the elders here at Lake Forest, and it's my joy to bring the message today. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump right in. Father God, as joyful and relational as we all look when we walk in this place, I know, and you know, that many of us walked in burdened today. We walked in today needing to know, pray through a deep well of hurt in our life. We need to know how to get unstuck. We need to decide if we want to get unstuck. We need to know that you're enough. And so, Father, thank you for the stories of real people that are walking through really tough journeys that you have given us, that we might see ourselves in those people, in their lives, in their stories, and we might recognize how you met them and realize that you desire to meet us too. Father, teach us from your word and your people and your story. In the name of Jesus, we ask, amen. Well, the truth is, friends, that is, if you live long enough, you will experience something piercing your soul. You will. There, there will be something of this world, something of the brokenness of this world that will come and it will pierce your soul. When I was a young, young minister in my 20s, I received a call at work one day. And the woman was weeping so desperately that I could not make out who it was at first. And then when I realized, I just said, I'm, I'll, be there and I'll be there as soon as I can. And I hung up, and I went straight to her, and I just held her while she wept. And, and she said, after a while of just sitting in the weeping and the soul pain, she said, Holly, he's having an affair. And then there was more crying, and there was silence, and then she said, He's having an affair with another man. And we sat in that darkness, in that hurt, and, and the story unfolded. She wanted to get counseling. She wanted to keep their family together. He chose and did not want to do that. They went to counseling. They had people around them. People prayed for him. And the story got darker, and it got worse, and it got desperate. Finally, they did separate, and she, having not worked in 15 years, packed up her two young boys in a station wagon and drove back to the home where her grandparents had grown up. Her mom and dad moved there, and she began to build a new life with her two young boys. What will I do for work? Where will we live? Life was never supposed to look like this. Soul pain. They began to rebuild, and, and it began to look like a new life. And then about eight years into them being there, she and her boys and a friend were watching a comedy channel one night, and she took a deep breath and then fell over and died. I walked with that family after this, still walking with that family and here's the truth that I just want to offer you this morning. When something pierces our soul, and it will at some point, we have a choice that we have to make if we're following Jesus. And if we're not 
following him yet. This is a choice that is offered to you. Here's the choice. Half of that family or part of that family got stuck. And they got stuck in grief. They got stuck in blame. They got stuck in anger. They got stuck in hatred. Marriages dissolved. Kids went awry. Some of the others said this prayer, essentially, God, I need you to give me what I cannot manufacture. I do not have enough to do this. I do not have enough to get unstuck. There's not enough of me to move on. And so I need you to give me enough for today. And they prayed that prayer. And honestly, you never quite get over something like that. They're still praying that prayer. But they began through community and counseling and love and prayer, they began to see life again. So the choice that we have to make that we see in Hannah's story this morning, Hannah's story is a soul-piercing story. It's not a funny story. It's a hard, hard story. And I appreciate that God put imperfect people in deep anguish in the word so that when we get there, we're not surprised that we see that God has met people in that kind of anguish before. And so Hannah says, her story says, when your soul is pierced, you can either get stuck or you can say, God, give me what I cannot manufacture in myself. Show me the way. Here's Hannah's story. There was a certain man from, from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children and Hannah had none. So let's just sum that up. We got a husband, Elkanah, who has two wives, Penina and Hannah. And when I was preparing for this message, I looked over at Bill and I said, Bill, I didn't remember that Elkanah had two wives. This is my husband. And he said, whew. I looked at him and I was like, that's fair. It's fair. Yeah. So Elkanah, and just for the record, um, there were things that were allowed in the Old Testament for a period of time, things like polygamy and patriarchy, that when Jesus was walking the earth and teach him, people said, what about that? And he had this to say, this was fascinating. He said that was a cultural ignorance and a hardness of heart that God allowed that for a while. Hardness of heart. What cultural ignorance and hardness of heart is God allowing in us right now? You might imagine, since it was hardness of heart, two wives, one home, cat fight looking to happen. And that's exactly what happens. There's one home, there's Penina, who has a child. And another, and another, and another. Hannah had none. They're in the same home, friends. And, and if you've been in a home with a lot of small children, here's what it is. It's messy toddlers. It's babies that are crying. It's more food that needs to pre be prepared because there's more mouths to feed. There's more laundry. There's more work. There's noise. There's chaos in that, in that home. And then there's the joyful stuff. There's the first steps. 
There's the laughter of a child. There's Penina's kids being held by Elkanah. All of that emphasizes Hannah's loneliness a sense of failure. See, in this culture, the culture was selling to the women that your only job is to produce a male heir, that you should give your husband a male heir to carry on his name and to take care of you in your old age. And if you don't do that, you are an utter failure as a woman. So she is in this house full of joy and chaos and noise that's all connected to Penina, She's watching Elkanah love Penina's children, and she feels utter loneliness and like a complete failure. And one time a year, her, her barrenness, her loneliness is at its very height because her faithful, God-loving husband, Elkanah, takes the whole family once a year to a town called Shiloh. Why Shiloh? Because after the Israelites were freed from slavery and Joshua led them to take the land that God had always promised them, after that, the tabernacle, the place where God said, I will meet my people, was located in Shiloh. Now, the tabernacle is this beautiful flash forward of God pointing towards Jesus. The tabernacle was basically a a moving sanctuary that the people took with them through the desert. And when God moved by a pillar of fire, the people moved packing up the tabernacle to the next place that God led them. So the tabernacle would be set up and the tribe of Israel would camp around the tabernacle. Here's why it's this beautiful flash forward of Jesus. Ready? There was one gate into the tabernacle. It faced west, which was the exact opposite that the sun worshipers, the idol worshipers faced, which was east. One gate you could go in to worship God, just like Jesus says, I am the one gate you can go in to worship God. Flash forward, a priest, when the family would come, a priest would take the unblemished land that they brought, the offering to God, And the head of the household would put his hand on that lamb and he would say, God, all of my home, all of my family, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all the things that we mess up, all the ways we have not followed you, we we lay that on this innocent lamb and we spill his blood, his blood paying for my sin, our sin. And the priest would slice the neck of this lamb and blood would be spilt just like the Lamb of God, Jesus, spilt his blood to pay for our sins. So the Israelites did this year after year after year. And so when Jesus came, God had been pointing towards him all these years. But I want you to imagine for a minute this family taking this trip, this this journey across the desert to Shiloh. Because these festivals were festivals of great joy. And the family was excited. The little kids would have been like telling the older kids, telling the younger kids, this is awesome. Dad's going to go in and and we got the lamb and you got to be super quiet. Don't say anything because dad's in charge. He's going to talk to the priest. But then they're going to kill the lamb for us. 
and we're going to have God's forgiveness, and then we're going to give thanks, and there's this massive feast, and it's amazing because they would take the meat from the lamb, and they would give some to the priest as an offering, and the rest the family would take and have a feast. We don't understand this because we don't have this as part of our worship now, but this, this was a feast. This was food, this was wine, this was laughter, this was joy, and they're all there. And Hannah feels none of that. She doesn't feel a part of the family. She doesn't feel joy. She doesn't feel excitement. She feels loneliness and despair. She does long to be there, but she longs to be there to pray and pour out her heart as she has done year after year after year. This is what it says in 1 Samuel verses 4 through 8. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, this is Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival would provoke her until she wept. She wouldn't eat. She couldn't eat. Her husband Elkanah says to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Friends, have you ever been at a dinner table where one person was desperately not okay? Everybody else was pretty much good, but that one person was, was bitter and hurt and completely not okay. What does it do to the whole room? That's what's going on here. This woman, Penina, is, is literally taunting Hannah. She's literally going, look what I have. Look what the Lord's done for me. What you got, Hannah? She's taunting her. And then Elkanah, a sweet, God-loving man, comes over. And he basically says, hey, baby, what's wrong? Have a steak. And you got me. (laughs) Okay, I'm just saying, good talk. Good talk. But friends, God is faithfully at work, and he sees Hannah's anguish. She's so depressed she can't eat. The scriptures actually say, I'm in deep anguish. Friends, this is soul pain. This is on her face weeping. And she she backs away from the table, and she goes and is literally, the scripture says she's on her face weeping in soul pain that is so profound that she's praying, but no words come out because there's not any anymore. She's pouring out this grief and, and this hurt and this disappointment and this loneliness to the Lord. And this is what she says. She makes a vow to the Lord. Lord Almighty, this is the first time Yahweh's name is used in scripture, the great holy name of God. Lord Almighty, Yahweh, great faithful God, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor shall ever be used on his head. That was a Nazarite vow. Eli, the priest, is watching her. 
Now, to his credit, this is very strange looking. And at these feasts, there was, there was food and there was wine and he misunderstands the situation and he goes over to her and he essentially says, really? You're going to get drunk in the house of the Lord? Really? That's what you're going to do? She looks up at him. Friends, this is where the height of pain meets the height of prayer. She is at the pinnacle of her pain now. She is childless. She is lonely. She's in a family, but not part of a family. She has years of unanswered prayers. She is provoked and literally emotionally abused by the woman who she has to share a home with. And now she's misunderstood by the priest of a holy God. Height of pain meets height of prayer. She says to Eli, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. Hear this. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Do not take your, your, this woman for being wicked. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Great anguish and grief, Eli. I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. There's no more words. It's coming from the depths of my soul. And finally, Eli sees. And he prays this blessing over her. Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Friends, the gift we have in Hannah's story is that we are not surprised when soul-piercing pain comes in our life, that we are not the first. We are not the first people to be laying on the ground in anguish and grief that has no more words. And we get to see in Hannah a woman move from anguish not in a day, but over years, move from anguish to brokenness and here finally to surrender. Finally to surrender. The scriptures say this. And she got up and she went her way. She ate something and her face was no longer downcast. She had moved from anguish in the beginning to years of prayer, years of prayer, misunderstood, height of pain, anguish, and finally in this moment you see her just, where else can I take this, Lord, but to you? Where else do I have to go but to you? Who else can carry this but you? You see finally this broken woman surrender. Scriptures say that her countenance actually changed. Her face changed. There's a release. But here's the important thing. She moves forward before she has an answer. Y'all, that's huge. She doesn't move forward because God answers her prayer. And oh, good, now I got what I want, so I'm good. You know, I'm going to move forward now. No, this is an example of a woman with soul-piercing pain who moves forward before she has an answer, she moves forward after surrender. Not immediately, not wholly, but she begins, she takes a step. Where else, where else, where else will I take this, Lord? 
Who else could carry this? Give me what I cannot manufacture on my own. I cannot manufacture this, God. It has to come from you. Friends, when we make the choice, and it is a choice, when we make the choice with God, or if you become a Christian and you want this choice to be with you in God, here's what we're choosing when we choose to get unstuck. We're choosing to believe that God sees us. That he doesn't see this, he doesn't see a crowd, he doesn't see a group of people, he sees our hearts individually, he sees into our souls, he realizes our anguish, God sees you. And then this is something that Hannah could not have known yet. But this is what she was also trusting. Despite the tragedies and the human evil in this world, and there are both, tragedies and human evil from the brokenness of this world, God is working out his purposes in human history. I'm going to say that again. She believed that despite the tragedies and human evil in this world, that God was working out his purposes in human history. What has Jesus been doing since he ascended? Is he just in heaven waiting for people to get there? Is he, he's, he's beside the throne and he takes your prayers to the Father, but he's also doing something else. He's building his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Jesus is now building his kingdom. We get to be a part of of that. We get to partake in that with him, but he's building his kingdom on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He's working out his purposes in human history. I want to zoom way, way, way out on Hannah's life and tell you something that she could not have known at this moment. God did give her a son about a year later. She names him Samuel, and she kept her vow. At that time, women would probably have nursed their children about three years. And and Elkanah comes to her before the yearly pilgrimage, and she says, I'm not going this year. I'm going to wait until he's weaned. This is beautiful about her husband's heart. He could have ordered her to go, but he allowed her to keep the vow, the vow she made to God. And three years later, she goes back to Eli, and she says, this is the child that you prayed that God would give me. And she leaves Samuel there as an offering to the Lord to be used by the Lord for his life. Can you imagine how hard that was? Because I can't. I have three boys. It said every year when she came back with Elkanah and the family, she would bring Samuel a new robe because he had grown. I'm your mom who never forgot. But pull back even farther. God does give Hannah other children. He blesses her with sons and daughters. But pull back even farther. The people of Israel are desperately in need of a godly religious leader. And Samuel grows up with a true heart for God, like a true heart for God. And he leads Israel religiously leader of Israel, through Saul's kingship, which was bitter and broken and ungodly, through David's kingship, Samuel is the priest that anoints King David. Samuel is the priest that anoints King David that takes all of the tribes that are all over the place and brings them into a kingdom. 
King David, who took that kingdom to Jerusalem. King David, who took the Ark of the Covenant, the religious center of our people, to Jerusalem. Samuel anoints King David. God was, in fact, working out his purposes in human history despite tragedy and evil. God wins. He wins. But I want to close with something that's really important. It's what happens in our heart when we say, God, I don't want to be stuck anymore. I don't want to live stuck. Help me with what I cannot manufacture in myself. Help me to get unstuck. What happens in our heart is seen in Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. I want to just point out some of the things in this prayer that pours out of Hannah after she's been given Samuel. These are the things that, have, that God has changed in her heart because she chose to get unstuck. Hannah has grown in her wonder of God. Like her wonder about the majesty and the power and the depth and the fact that he sees us and the fact that he wants to help us get unstuck and the fact that he meets us, the fact that he chases us down, not that we ever pursued him. She's grown in her wonder of God. This is what she says. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. That means when an animal's horn is lifted high, guess what? She says, in the Lord, I can lift my head again. I can lift my head again. My mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in whose deliverance? God's deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. But she's also learned something in her heart that whether you know God or you don't know God yet, Hannah is clear now that God opposes the proud and he hears the cries of the humble. Our God opposes the proud. He sees into your motivations. He sees into our souls. He opposes the proud and he hears the cries of the humble. I see you. I hear you. She prays, do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such, speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. And in this prayer, you see one final thing. Hannah believes deep in her heart, she knows that she knows that she knows, that God will fight for his faithful ones. He will fight for us in the midst of the tragedies, in the midst of the evil of this world, that God is fighting for us. The God of the universe is fighting for you. She prays this, he will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked, no, let me read that again. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That king that, he, that is referred to in Hannah's prayer, she's thinking king of the Israelite nation. It's a point 
pointing arrow, first time that God is all through his Old Testament, pointing, pointing, pointing to Jesus, the true king, the Messiah king, the Lamb of God king that God is going to bring. Out of her heart pours wonder about God. Belief that God opposes the proud and he hears the cries of the humble. Belief that God, God will fight for his faithful ones among the tragedies and the evil of this world. Her heart has changed. Her heart is different. I'd like to close with this, this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, you have put your life into our hands, and now we put our lives into yours. Take us, renew us, and remake us. What we have been is past, what we shall be through you still awaits. Lead us on, take us with you, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Matt's going to lead us to respond together as a congregation. As we have uh, done the last few weeks, we're going to uh, pray again.